Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. This is the second part of our very interesting interview with Naughty Devil. And if you haven't heard part one, it is the episode just before this one, and I highly recommend you listen to that first. Now back to Naughty Devil. So Naughty, we've covered quite a bit the personal side of rope for you, but you're also a rope professional. So how does that work? Yeah. So right now I have the lovely opportunity. I get to work for an independent porn company uh, called Reflective Desires. And they do a reflective desire. They do a lot of latex porn. And so I'm their house rigger. So I, or I'm one of them. Um, so I tie people up in latex and suspend them and then also create some of their device bondage. And then, so that's one aspect of rope life. The other is I do, I make my own content. I have only fans. I do a lot of, a lot of hero or damsel in distress kind of content, a lot of tying people up, stripping them, and then doing vibrator play or other kinds of aspects of play or doing consensual non-consent scenes. And then the third thing is that I do shoots and I teach and I do kind of like private sessions as well. So if someone maybe hasn't had, like someone wants to get tied and they can't find someone to do it, I'm someone where it's like, okay, you can pay me to have this experience that is entirely kind of set up by you. And it's mostly, those tend to be a lot more artistic because that's not usually a style of rope that I do where it's like, oh, let's just make, make a pretty shape. It's something that I can do. And so it's like, cool. Um, if you want to make a pretty shape in the air, I'm someone who can do that. And I would happily be paid to do that. And then I'm also slowly starting to get more into teaching. I'm still quite nervous about it. I, I think that I have to be kind of responsible for the people I teach and the students. And I don't want, you know, it's really easy to get an injury or to harm a person in a lot of ways in rope. And I really would like to avoid that. And so teaching is still making me nervous, but something that I've, a lot of people have asked me for lessons for different aspects of things. And so I'm starting to kind of dip my toes into that as well. So between all of those different areas is how I kind of like make my total income, I would say. Okay. If only there was such a thing as a rope major in college. God, oh, that would be so nice. Packing <laughs> so all of that a little bit, Nati, uh, let's start with your work for Reflective Desire. What is the typical workday of a house rigger for a latex adult website? So I come into work, we sit around kind of like the table, uh, the like, and we're usually sipping coffee. And so my boss will come in and he'll be like, okay, uh, I'm thinking maybe we can do something like this and we'll have the talent and the models all in the room. And so the model's like, cool, I'm okay with this kind of play. 
and the talent goes, cool, I want to top them from this side, or I want to maybe do impact play, or I want to be fucking them, or I want to force them. I, we just got to do a scene where we forced uh, uh, a hot, lovely human to come on his own face, and that was really fun. Um, but that was, so they're like, and these are the challenges that we have. And then, so I go, okay, I can maybe do, I can put the person in this pose and I'll go through like rope poses that I have either saved on my phone or ideas I've seen and be like, what about this? And like show them people. And they're like, yeah, let's try that. Or, okay, maybe let's not make the legs spread so much, or maybe let's bring them in together like this. And then we go, cool. All right, let's create this. And then we go and we spend, um, they spend an hour getting into latex. And then uh, I usually spend about 15 to 20 minutes time. Um, and then I'm kind of on standby just in case. And then we roll the film. So usually you're not visible in the video itself. You would tie the person, but then other talent would do the topping or the bottoming or whatever actions happening. Yes. Yeah. I think I've only ever been, and it hasn't even come out yet, but I've only ever been in one video, like my uh, myself actively. I don't even think I was tying. I think I was mostly just... Um, we had someone who wasn't quite able to make the scene. And so they needed someone to hop in at the last second. And so I did because I was on set. But no, mostly I tie and then take a step back and let everyone else do the work. It sounds like because we're starting to go a little bit more full time as far as shooting goes, it sounds like I might be able to do a couple of things coming up, which I'm really excited for. But for now, it's mostly just, yeah, I, I check in with the models, see what their rope experience is, ask them where they don't want rope on their body and then just tie them from there. And while, while you're here, let's pick your brain. So what tips do you have for tying on latex? Oh my gosh. Um, you definitely can't tie connectively or it's very difficult to do so because these are like very expensive suits that tear very, very yeah, easily. Right, right. And so I have to place the tension very softly and kind of plan for that plan for how much is that person going to be struggling around? I still haven't managed to tie a lower band of a strapado that stays in place on latex because it's under such little tension. Mm. And so usually in the, the latex is so slippery. Top band's usually fine. The lower band is definitely shifted around a little bit. I'm still working on the nuances of that. But also there's a difficulty too where there's already compression along the arms. So if the model has a lot of previous shibari experience, they might be more willing to let their hands go numb, whereas some people don't and they don't want that. And so I have to be really careful with what ties we choose so that their hands don't go numb from the rope because that added compression to the latex makes it a lot more difficult to spot that nerve injury coming. And so that's also, yeah, a part of it. I would say most of the suspensions that we've done have been very static, nothing super dynamic, just because there's so much room for error. <laughs> now T, when you are tying for a shoot at Reflective Desire, what is usually the duration that your model is gonna have to stay in that position for the shoot to happen? We've had a variety of different kind of things. So we'll have one of the most recent shoots we did. Person was standing in a TK with an upline and their legs spread to down points. Um, and they were able to stand in that for like 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes. We've done a couple partials where people have had to come out or have like a release from the partial for like five minutes, take a little bit of a break. And then we go back in and we shoot again. And that was usually, I think they were in that for 20 minutes. And then we took like a two to five minute break and then changed the tie a little bit. And then they went back in for another 20 minutes. We had, we had a full suspension where someone was getting fucked from behind while fully suspended in like a hog tie. And they had to come down, take a break, come back up, 
get it again, come down, take a break. So I think they did that. They repeated that pose for 15 minutes each. And then we took a break and then went back up. So sometimes we have to take breaks depending on the intensity of the pose. But I don't think we've ever done anything longer than 45 minutes. Okay. And have you had any um, injuries or accidents on set that you've had to manage? I have not on set for that particular company. I have definitely tied, and this was actually rather recently, I tied a good friend of mine and they have latex, latex gloves. And this was our first time tying in latex gloves. And we had some wrist drop happen because uh, the placement of the bands and they ended up in the air and they were like, oh, it's a little wonky. Can we dress it? We dressed it. And they're like, oh, that's so much better. We stayed in the air for another couple minutes. And then we shifted the pose and they're like, oh, that's back to being wonky. And I was like, cool, I'm just going to take you out. We went down, took everything out immediately. And they had a wrist drop for about two or three days. So how do, you, uh, how do you process that with your partner when you have an instance of wrist drop or something similar? Like, how does it happen in terms of you communicating and working together through that? I think for, for me, because this was this person's first time having this long of wrist drop. And I've, I've also had wrist drop um, that's lasted a day. I've never had it last longer than a day. And so I was very worried when it was, when we were coming out, they were like, oh, I can't, I can't fully, I don't have full movement of my wrist. And I was like, okay, we're just, we're getting this rope off of you immediately. Um, I'm going to check in with you throughout the remainder of um, our time hanging out. We're going to see how you're doing, give you a little bit of like, see like if time helps it out a little bit. And towards the end of us hanging out, they're like, yeah, no, it's still not any better. So I was like, all right, um, if it doesn't get better by tomorrow morning, um, like, please go to the emergency room, get it, like, maybe get a, and I was like, I'll pay for um, a splint if you need a splint or some kind of like wrist guard or something. And then also if you need any help moving anything or doing anything, because I know one of the things that they were going to do was clean up their room a little bit. And so I actually went over and hung out with them and helped them and kind of uh, talked to other people in the community who have had wrist drop for long periods of time and asked them like, hey, can you reach out to this person because you have experience with this and talk to them about it so they're not feeling so alone in this because I can only tell them my experience with that. And that really helped. And after like two or three days, they're like, oh, I'm much better. I have full movement. I have like everything is is good, but it was also something where like I really wanted to communicate to this person that I'm here to help and also still kind of like take responsibility for the injury that I've caused. But they were also very sweet and were, they were like, it's part of my risk factors. I know, I know that injury is potential, potentially a thing. Um, and we're still like tying, we still hang out and we've just avoided doing that exact tie with those, <laughs> with those latex sleeves again. <laughs> Okay, uh, Nati, moving on to your OnlyFans content, uh, being myself a very serious rope journalist, I spent a lot of time <laughs> reviewing your material <laughs> for this interview, purely for research purposes, clearly. Uh, and it's really interesting to me as I went back to your older stuff, it looks like you were trying a bunch of different concepts and then towards the more recent postings, you seem to have really narrowed into your thing. Can you talk? To us about that a bit. Yeah, I think I was when I had started only when I had started my OnlyFans. The pandemic had just started, and I was just kind of like putting out as much as I could of recording a, a session of me tying someone, doing a pretty shape, um, and then oh, here's me like tying someone connectively. Here's me tying myself. Here's me doing some like 
here's me doing some audio stuff for me, like kind of like playing the role of a scene and it's just me. Um, and just putting out all this different stuff. And basically just anytime I tied rope, I would just hit record or I didn't really come into it with a set intent for a scene. I would just tie. And I mean, we would set the intent for like what we wanted, but we wouldn't set the intent for like, how are we making content? And then as of late, I've started kind of like, I think I've learned some stuff from my time working under Reflected Desires where it's like, oh, let's build a scene. Let's like, what do we want? How do we want to film this? Do we want to get this from above? Do we want to get this like horizontal? Do we want to film me like dragging the person like along? Kind of like, how do we look at it as opposed to just setting up a camera and then just tying connectively, which I still do. And that's a lot of some of the content that's on there. But I think more recently, it's been a lot of how do we tell a story with this? How do we how do we play, especially with a lot of CNC and a lot of like damsels or heroes in distress, kind of that capturing a person, stripping them and then playing with them. And that's kind of become very prevalent in that because it's it's a lot of what people in the in who 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 partake of this kind of like want to see. And it's also the stuff that I really enjoy and the people I'm tying really enjoy. So it works out really great for all of us. What is OnlyFans as a platform's attitude towards rope bondage? Do you have to censor yourself a lot to get your videos to be accepted? I do. There's a lot of, I used to do a lot of knife play that I can't do all of my pay-per-view stuff with. Knives got taken down pretty quick when the terms of service changed. I There's sometimes where I'll, I'll put up a video and I can't describe it because I can't use words like forced or... Um, punished or beaten or even sometimes like spanked is like a little they won't let me use that and so how I describe it I have to censor myself I also have to be really careful they have like a lot of weird little rules so like sometimes there's a few clips of me like waking people up and I have to be really careful with those some some get through some don't I have to be really careful with some of the CNC stuff where it's very clearly it's very clearly consensual non-consent and not just like non-consensual stuff. And that makes it, it's a lot easier when, when you can tell that the person in rope is very clearly enjoying themselves. Um, but it's, yeah, I definitely have to censor a lot of my work and there's a lot of stuff that I can't do or I can't even like bring onto that site. You come across Snotty as quite a vulnerable, like a person who's willing to share himself in a way that not everybody is. And I know that emotion is important to you in some of your rope. Tell us about that role of emotion and also where it fits in your different rope personas, let's say, like OnlyFans, Reflective Desires, your private rope, tying people. Just I think I think for me it's something where I've definitely I I had something that really changed the way I looked at rope, where I caused a consent injury. I hurt someone very close to me, and there was a, a huge lack of communication about it, and on on both our parts, but definitely on mine. And it changed the way where it was suddenly now I'm so like hyper fixated on not only is like consent incredibly important and always has been, but now it's like how is the person feeling? In rope, how do I kind of give off this emotion where it's okay to have feelings and it's also okay to communicate with me? And because I never want someone to feel like they can't communicate with me or like that they that there's something preventing them from doing so, like, oh, I don't want to break headspace to communicate, or oh, I don't want to, you know, you seem a little like gruff or off-putting, and I don't want that ever. And I think 
being open and communicating with people has always been important to me. But even after that happening, it changed the way that I do rope in a way where that became prevalent because that, that really, really like it hurt a lot. And I mean, it hurt both of us, but for me, that was devastating. It was the middle of the pandemic and someone who I had grown so close with considered them like an incredible, like friend and, and partner. And to have that break kind of almost come out of nowhere, like really just shattered me. And I took a step back from rope and from the community for a little bit also just to kind of work on myself. And a part of things that I realized was that I need to, when someone communicates something, even if it's like, if someone goes, oh, like, yeah, this placement on my ribs, just, it doesn't feel right. And if I go, oh, okay, well, we'll see how it goes in the air. That's not me communicating with them. That's me kind of like just missing that. If someone brings something to me, I need to be immediate in the way that I address it. And I need to kind of open myself up to that. And also like, I'm not really, as much as I love like primal play and taking control, that's very much a scene headspace. That's not really me outside of the scene. I'm not really, I am my, my partner Pixie and I joke that I am a bottom leaning top. Um, I have a skill set I've honed over a series of years, but I really like being the one on bottom. I like the one being tied and being put in vulnerable positions. I just don't get to do it as much as I would like these days. Oh, you're a switch leaning bottom. <laughs> Pixie's off camera. She says I'm a switch leaning bottom. Okay. I switch, but I'm yeah. But it's okay are... to come and say something, Pixie, if oh, you yeah, want. Feel free. What the you can, you can, yeah, I think I think a part of a part of it has always been reacting to how the person in rope reacts. And for that to happen, there needs to kind of be an emotional vulnerability on both sides. You have to be aware of how that person is feeling and care about those feelings. And so I think as opposed to where I know like it's I also love like sadism in rope and being a little bit of a sadist, but it's also something where you have to be really careful with that because I never want to push someone where I actually break them. And I know that we like to play with like, oh, we're pushing to the breaking limit, but there's also a huge difference between going over that line and, or, or breaking someone in a way that is ethical and planned for both of you. And so that's also very important to me. It sounds like a very difficult experience. How did it change the way that you did your negotiation and consent? I think I started really negotiating for what is the intent of the scene and where on your body do you want rope and where don't you want rope? And also like, where do you want to be touched? Where do you not want to be touched was a part of a very much, cause you can still, you can still have someone be fully clothed in rope, no like crotch rope, no mouth rope and still have it feel very sexual. Mm -hmm. um, and so having that intent, like, do we want, is the intent art focused? Is the intent sex focused? Is the intent the sensual kind of like connectivity and flow? And really kind of keeping those in their respective places. Uh, because someone who comes to me for a session because they want to look pretty in the air, probably like, unless they specifically have stated otherwise, probably doesn't want connective 
session where they feel like I'm pulling them around or pushing them around or something like that. Maybe they just want to look pretty in the air and feel that. And so I might have a conversation while I'm tying that person, as opposed to someone who comes to me and goes, I want to set the intent specifically for connection or specifically for sensual sexual rope. And so I've also kind of limited, I've had to, therapy has helped a lot where it's helped me set boundaries and limits for the people in my life. So when I do sexual rope or sensual rope, a lot of that is more sex work based. A lot of that is more for content with people who have experience both in rope and in um, sex work, or it's reserved for partners and for people who I'm close to who are in my rope family. How do you make that distinction? Do you have certain sexual activities you reserve for private relationships and others you're okay to do in sex work? How does that work for you? Yeah. So right now my limits in sex work, because I am, I'm uh, fluid bonded with two partners. So anything outside of that, I don't, I don't put any genitals of mine into anyone else's holes. And so I use toys. I use dildos, vibrators, plugs, and those are, and I like will wear gloves if I'm going to be playing or touching with like genitals. And so that really kind of helps set those definitions, especially with a lot of sex work and stuff. And while at some point I will probably include my body in sex work more often and the in the future, that's not quite in the cards for me at the moment. And it's something where I like having this clear boundary and I like having that. And so that's kind of where that where that lies. So there's only like two people that I do penetrative play with where it's myself. And that's also usually shifting, like that can shift based on negotiations with my partners and we discuss it and talk about it and I make sure to get tested and use protection. But that's, it's something where for me to ethically top in sex work, I would have to get tested a lot more regularly than I currently am. And with my income and my access to medical uh, availability that's really difficult. So <laughs> come to Thailand. We have really good, really cheap testing here. Yes, <laughs> that's a new way of bringing right? people to right. Thailand. I'm looking always for the angle. You're always looking for the angle. Uh, Nati, you're also <laughs> active on Instagram and TikTok. What role do these platforms play in your overall rope activity? I would say Instagram is that's the one I've really put my heart and soul into. I've had it for for five or six years, kind of to start tracking my rope journey. And then now just to put as, as the most PG-13 <laughs> <laughs> content, like hot content that I can without breaking into the like R-rated content on the internet. But that's kind of where I put the stuff that I'm like really, really proud of where I'm like, I got this shoot. I got to work with these people. I got to tie these people together. I got to tie myself or I got tied by this person. And so it's where I put a lot of my, the stuff where I like really pour my heart and soul into with TikTok. I was really big on that during the pandemic. I was doing a lot of lives and like talking with a lot of people and being a lot more kind of a personality and a little less rope, but then that got taken down when everything happened. And so since then I haven't been as active on there. My, like it was difficult going from putting a lot of work into an account and then starting from zero. Mm. And then it was kind of just like I took a break, didn't do it for a while. And then now just kind of on occasion, I'll throw some stuff out there, but it's pretty rare. Mm. But yeah, I would say Instagram is the one where I just really put my heart and soul into showing the world what I'm proud of. 
Okay. Uh, a lot of our rope friends have had issues with Instagram with getting their account deleted or shadow banned or having some of their posts flagged. Have you experienced that at all? Oh, yes. Um, I've, I've experienced that I had my account taken down and I, uh, I wrote them because I was able to try to contest it. And then they, they left room for like an email to be sent to a place. And I wrote them a very heartfelt email where I was like, this is not just an account for me. This is a community of people that I talk to. This is also a scrapbook of me during like a, a quite a few different difficult points of time in my life. This matters to me. It's a lot more than just I'm while yes, this is kind of like a little bit used for advertising. This is way, way more than that. And so I think that's really, really that was important to me. I know Pixie's got removed seven times. Seven times. Well, somewhere between five and seven. I'm not sure. There was like a month and a half where they kept on giving my account back and taking it away. You're just too pretty for the internet. Uh, I was going to say too sexy for Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It was, it got to the point where I was just basically, no one was looking at this. It was all entirely algorithm based. So I just had my responses ready to copy paste with like the keywords that I knew that they would want. And that's so like, I just kept on resubmitting it until they stopped. <laughs> so they want to know it's consensual. Like what's, you, you're talking of keywords, what's their key concern with rope pictures in your experience? So it's, it's not even about the rope pictures in that case, because if an account is being taken down just from the Instagram algorithm, there's no human looking at it. There, there's no, there's just an AI collecting information about the images it's gathering and whether there are any reports on the count and then issuing a suspension. And so if you go in, give your rebuttal and give them a, I've done nothing wrong, I haven't, it's like, I follow the rules of the terms, but please reinstate my account. This is a mistake. Like, it'll pick up those terms. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you send something that has profanity, if you're really angry, or if you admit to breaking their terms, it's going to pick up those things and it's going to shut down on you. Oh my God. Our whole sexual culture is becoming about how we talk to AIs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Even oh well, couldn't have come up with that one. So the bit we didn't explore yet, Naughty, is teaching. And you said that you feel some ambiguity, I would say, around the responsibility of being a teacher. And Fox, one of his many reasons for not teaching, or I guess our reasons for not teaching, is exactly that, that responsibility. So what kind of classes have you taught and how are you dipping your toe into the waters of teaching? Yeah, so I was very much didn't want to teach for the longest time. Still, I'm kind of very hesitant to. I had a couple close friends talk to me about it and be like, we could really use your help in the community currently. And I was like, okay, so I can teach within like the kind of community close to me. So I started with like a private lesson or two where I taught the basics. I taught single columns and photos and just kind of stuck to that for a little bit. And then my rope family was like, hey, we'd love to have you teach an intensive up in our space. And so I taught a two-part class that lasted uh, for two days. 
So the first day was, uh, it was called Capturing Connection. Mm-hmm. And it was how to tie your partner like you are, tie, how to tie them in a way that it's connective and kind of like flowy where, where they feel captured. And so we started with very much like, how do you grab your partner to start off with? How do you place their arms and then adding rope and then adding body movement and then adding another rope and then more body movement. And then the second day was tying like a pervert. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I want yeah. to go to those two classes so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's something where I've just, I've, I tie because it's, I like the pervy side of it. And I don't see a lot of that being a lot of rope classes that we go to are really cool and like technical based or very much like shape or sustainability. And those are all wonderful, wonderful things. But I was teaching to, a group of people that I knew pretty well in the community um, who we all wanted to explore um, how to make our partners feel objectified and how we wanted to objectify them and how we could use like our senses, like the five senses for that and use that in play, how we could play a little bit with like the fear play or the exposure play. And that was, it was something that when we were planning, Pixie and I were really, really excited about because I'm like this is something that we do really well and that we want to share with everybody (laughs) so how does a pervert tie (laughs) the way that we uh I think he knows by the way just as an aside I think he's got an idea but let's let's hear how you as a pervert tie as well I would say for me it's about it's about that capturing a person making sure they can't go anywhere and then taking your time, stripping their clothes, playing with that, objectifying them, and also sensation. I love smells. I'm very into smells. Uh, Pixie, not so much. You're you're into smells. (laughs) But I like, I love the, especially like anything with the armpits up or exposed. And I will just like stick my nose in someone's armpit or stick my nose in someone's crotch and just sniff. And that plays with that shame and that objectification and especially doing that in front of an audience for me is really, really fun. Um, and then also just putting people in very sexualized pose where poses where they're like almost or making someone like squirm out of their clothes, having someone bent over and having like a rope attached to like maybe a spreader bar between their legs to like a bra or their pants and making it so that if they bend up, any upward movement to get out of the tie will expose them more. And so making someone expose themselves or making someone play with themselves is also just like amazing amazing (laughs) naughty personally i love your content and i'm sure many of our dear listeners will love it too where is the best place for them to find you on the internet i can be found at instagram as naughty devil i also have an only fans as naughty devil if you're on twitter you can follow uh, reflective desire. I think it's it's either reflective desire or it's reflective latex on Twitter, and that's the company that I work for. So you'll see you won't see me, but you'll see my work. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Naughty. Thanks for listening and have fun tying. <laughs>